Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Women to Watch is an intimate look into the lives of prominent and influential women leaders from around the world and the challenges they faced on their journey. It's the real story behind her title. Join us every week to hear more stories about women from around the world and in your own communities at womentowatch.net. everyone and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch. I'm Sue Rocco. Thanks so much for being with me. Joining me in just a moment will be Julia Stewart. And Julia is the founder and CEO of Alorex, which is a brand new wellness company. As always, be sure to stay with us during the breaks where you'll hear from our exclusive watch team of corporate partners. And we invite you to subscribe to our YouTube page at Women to Watch Media. That's W, the number two, W, Media. So now I'm very thrilled and honored to welcome to the show, Julia Stewart. Hi, Julia. Hi. Welcome to the show. We finally got you here after months and months of talking, and um, I'm I'm thrilled that you've joined us. I, I know how busy you must be right now. Thank you so much. I'm very excited. So listen, I wanted to dive right in and talk about your background and your upbringing, which is truly, you know, a a very inspirational part of your life story. And I, I wanted to talk about the, the moving around that you did as a child in California. You, I believe you had three different moves and as a young girl, was that adventurous or, or, or was that difficult? (laughs) Well, when I was born, which was in the middle of nowhere in California in a little town called Visalia, there really wasn't much. My dad was still in the military at the time he had been drafted and my mom was teaching. So that was sort of the the best that we could do at the time. But when they both got better teaching jobs, we moved to, um, to Northern California. And that's really where I sort of developed, um, you know, as a, as a little teeny tyke at, from four to nine or 10 and, you know, developed relationships and, you know, my, my attitude towards education. And remember I grew up with teachers and of course, in those days, we didn't call it latchkey kid. I don't know what we called it, but we just went home from school and there was no one there. And that's what we did until mom or dad came home. And I think for me, that was, um, it was an interesting time. It wasn't, um, I, I didn't look back on it and say it was, you know, out of the ordinary. But I think by the time we moved to um, to San Diego, when I was nine or ten, I think that's when I really realized my family environment was very different than everyone else's. Everyone else sort of had a what I would call, relatively speaking, a, a normal environment, and mine really wasn't. And my parents really were very unhappy uh, with each other, and so. Um, I sort of took matters into my own hands. I always like to say, and when I was 12, I ran away from home. And when I was found with someone who had it much worse than I did, ironically, um, and brought home, 
Um, I'll never forget my dad saying, is it really that bad? I said, it's awful. I have no idea why you two are married. Oh my gosh. And he left the next day. And I, I tell that story because I took sort of matters into my own hands and, and really was much more the adult, right. In that. Yes. And so I grew up, I grew up faster. So I don't know if it was so much moving as it was, um, finding my voice. Yeah. You described yourself in an interview as the moderator at home and you were an only child. Yes. So it was you, right? And then mom and dad who were, you know, not getting along. That must have been very, very difficult. Well, you would, I would literally paraphrase. I would say, dad, I think what my mom is trying to say, mom, I think what dad is trying to say. And I think I realized that's really, it's, um, it's an abnormal relationship. And what it really forced me to do, you know, right or wrong, is I grew up very quickly and right. became the adult in that relationship, that threesome. I became the adult. And, um, you know, I've been asked many a time, do I regret having run away? And I'm, my answer is no. The best thing my parents ever did was get divorced. They never should have been married. But then I wouldn't have been born. So everything happens for a reason. Yeah. But, you know. So you think your dad actually, when he understood how difficult it was for you, then he decided it's time. Absolutely. Wow. I mean, literally within 24 hours, I came home from school and everything he owned was gone. And then I realized, you know, I could take matters into my own hands. It was sort of freeing. And it was also sort of a um, a realization that I, I had a I had a say in the family dynamic. Right. I, I really was so unhappy. I would do anything not to be at home. Um, and so I became my, you know, my little known fact, the first person in my neighborhood to have her parents get divorced. And, you know, back then there was quite the stigma attached. And I would say to people, you can stigmatize me all day long. It's far better to be with one parent at a time than than both of them. Yeah. So you were able then to continue and have a, a relationship with them both? Yes. Di- yeah. Separately. Separately. Very much so. And, yeah. you know, I... It wasn't easy at the time. I, I don't. I don't think back on it as being easy, but running away from home was probably the best thing I did. I don't encourage people to do that. Right. Well, I think a lot of children um, they say they're going to run away and they get to the end of the driveway. <laughs> well, the best part of that story is we took a bus to Las Vegas. Now, why we picked Las Vegas and what we were thinking, I don't know. Oh, at 12. Yes. Julia, that's that's incredible. But the that's- best part of that story is when we got to Vegas, we both looked at each other and, and I'll never forget that the, the young lady's name was Kim. And she said, well, now what? I said, I don't know. I saved up the money and got us here. You're not figuring out what to do. Oh, my gosh. That should be a movie. Um, really, that's young, 12. That's, that was gutsy that you did that. I think what's interesting is that you talked about how that experience and, and having to have that skill of the moderator stayed with you, you know, throughout your life and, and even in throughout your professional career. Um, Yeah. And describe for me what it means to you to be um, emotionally independent. It was something you were striving for um, in, in addition to financial independence, which you certainly um, built. When I was young, even at that young age, I knew I didn't want to be like my parents. I didn't want to have a relationship like my parents. I didn't want to be like them because the the emotion overtook everything else. 
And so it was unhealthy. I really saw it as incredibly unhealthy to be that emotional 24 seven, to hate your life, to hate your work, to hate everything about it. I just remember saying to myself at a very young age, I don't want to be that way. And so I, everything I did was to not, I didn't want to, I, I certainly don't mind the ups and downs. It wasn't that mm-hmm. it was the extreme and mm-hmm. it created unhealthiness, unhappiness. And I knew at a very young age, I didn't want that. I was going to be whatever it took. I had a plan. And so I've been writing a plan every 10 years for my entire life. And in those early days, I can't find it, but I remember writing down, I don't want to be like my mother and father. I want to be me. I want to strive to find the right balance in one's life emotionally, financially. And there was so much complaining all the time about not enough money. I didn't want to be like that. And I Mm -hmm. think they felt, both of them felt trapped in, in jobs they didn't necessarily, I know my dad loved teaching, but it didn't pay well. And I know my mother really had sort of felt like that was the only thing she could do. Yeah. So I want to go right to, this is one of the highlights of your life story. And I love this so much. Um, and it's printed and it's, some people who know you and are listening may already know it. However, I'm sure there's many that do not. Um, when you were 16, your your first, it might not be your first job. I don't know if you worked before 16, but you waitressed at IHOP, which is where you fell in love with food service and um, the whole you know restaurant business. And you became, you then worked your way up. You became the president of Applebee's. And when you were turned down for the role of CEO at Applebee's, you went back as CEO of IHOP, and you turned around and you bought Applebee's. Um, did I get that right? You did. There's probably a few details in the middle of that. But okay. Yeah. Now, you don't borrow $2.7 billion and put your company at risk for revenge. But as I always tell the story, there was <laughs> there was that 30-second phone call to the uh, to the then chairman of Applebee's that did feel good to say goodbye and have to let him go. Yeah. I'm sure. Um, but that's just shows so much the, the purposeful nature of the way you think and what you said to yourself when you were young and you really followed that path. Um, you, you had the courage to, to ask for what you want, which I think is a big lesson in life and, and, and hard for women. Well, Sue, I talk about that a lot. I don't think I knew it was courage when I was young. I know now that it's courage and and still using it and experiencing it and living with it every day, coaching as much as I can. Um, I do think there's a certain amount of when you, when you want to be courageous, whether it's personal or professional, small or big, I do think there's a certain amount of, I just have to believe in myself and, and you really do have to just believe in yourself. Um, and I think it just takes time. It's much easier to do with a few hard knocks and a, and a few, you know, wrong choices, wrong decisions, and or just didn't, didn't work the first time. But I'm a big believer in taking what I call calculated risk and, and the courage to believe in yourself to do what's necessary. And I and I, I take that to both professional and personal. I, I do think that's a way of living. 
Yeah. You know, you just reminded me of something you and I had talked about previously. I, I think it can certainly be a motivator, right? If if times were tough, you, you're it just um, makes you want to 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 do something differently. And um, I think, gosh, on the flip side of that, if you're raised in a home where where you do feel secure and you can feel the love, and you know. Um, perhaps it's not quite as difficult, can that be a detriment? Then you're lacking that um, resilience, right? Uh, That desire to be independent and work hard. I think that's fair. I do hear a lot of people who will use their background as an excuse. And in in my way of thinking, it it really, it was never an excuse. If anything, it, it catapulted me. Uh, and the negative turned into, I, I, I want to be something else. The only thing I'll say about that, it's a fair comment, and I've heard that a lot, certainly from young people who say, you know, I kind of had it easy, so, you know, now I'm out in the real world, and boy, this is the, the school. It's of hard. Life. Yeah. The only thing I will say is this notion from a young age, if you have a plan and you work your plan, I, I, I'm a real big believer in that whatever it may be, whether it's small or large, or I'm doing all this because someday I want to run the PTA. I'm doing all this because I want to raise two wonderful children. Everybody has, I hope, some thought and it's planful. And I think in my humble opinion, it's not necessarily easy, but easier if you work that plan. So when you run into obstacles, instead of maybe climbing this way, you know, you can always go sideways, right? But eventually- you get to the goal. I think that planfulness and that I have this, I have my sights on a goal, even if it changes, which as it, as it did in my case and almost anybody's case, yours as well, it changes. However, mm-hmm. working that plan gives, I think, purpose, meaning. I think it gives passion. I think it gives a sense of accomplishment. There's a lot that goes with the plan, your life's plan. And I'm just a big believer in that. Obviously, it's how I've lived my entire life. And and I've tried to coach as many people as, as possible. When you ask the question, what is it you want from this life? You know, sometimes I don't mean that to be a stickler for people, but you will get people saying, I, I never really thought about that. Yes, yes. Right? Do you allow yourself moments where you... Uh, because you talk about that a lot, being an over-preparer and, you know, an, an over-planner. You're old, so that's thinking about the future a little bit. Do you allow yourself to um, let things evolve ever? I, and- I, I do, not not probably that often, but I, but I certainly do. I also allow myself to dream. And I think Maybe there is there's some distinction there for you, but for me, I'm a big believer that a certain amount of dreaming um, is very healthy, and it creates a sort of a feeling of um, <clears throat> both gratitude and reflection, but also something to look forward to. I'm a big believer that sometimes those goals and plans can have dreaming in them, right? I dream of, I, I think about, I don't think that's bad at all. And in fact, I think, you know, how when you were young, you know, you used to always be scolded, you know, stop, stop being the daydreamer. And actually, I, I think just the opposite. I think I agree. I think some dreaming about the little or the big um, is just a wonderful sense of accomplishment, 
and it, it gets added to the plan. So yes, I do allow myself for things to evolve or take a shape or sometimes I think there's something to be said for whether it's a, a friendship or a relationship or work to just sit and listen to somebody, you know, talk to me about what you're thinking or feeling. And, and sometimes that in and of itself, just listening creates mm-hmm. a certain amount of, of gratefulness and gratitude, but also um, just reflection. Like I, I don't need to plan every minute of every day. I just want to listen. So just planning for you, is it, is it a relaxing exercise as opposed to pressure? Oh yeah, absolutely. In fact, I, I would tell you planning for me takes away all that sense of, of, of stress. I, I actually think it's very gratifying. Um, and there are certain habits I picked up, gosh, I don't know, ages ago, that if I have certain things I feel strongly about, I don't want to leave until those are done. And always some gratitude, always for the day, whether it's a thank you card, which I have three of them sitting on my desk that I need to finish. But I'm a big be- believer in those things bring me happiness, mm. even, the, even the littlest of one, right? Before the end of the day, make certain you thank someone or given grace or gratitude or told someone you love them. Oh, I, absolutely. I, yeah. I find that I find that taking the stress out of the environment. Yeah, because I think sometimes women in particular put too much stress on them for, I have to have a plan, but it's not, they're not going about it in the right way where it's fulfilling. It's feeling more like, pressure. Right. And for me, there's something to be said for the prioritization of what's important, what's not important. And if given the choice, do the laundry spend time with my child? I'm going to spend time with one of my children. Yeah, that's easy, right? That's a no brainer. They get, they get more difficult as you get into a career and, or you're running your own company or you're running something, anything, those prioritizations become important. But if you have the bigger picture in mind or the goal or the plan, I need to add value here. I, I, I need to make a difference in this company. Whatever it is, it it helps you prioritize and filter. And I, I do teach that. I still coach that to this day about, and I will start often when I'm mentoring someone, tell me about what your day is like, a normal day. Walk me through how you think about it. And you'll get a lot out of that conversation about how they do or do not prioritize. And you'll often hear people say, you know, I just, I looked up and the day got away from me. I didn't have a chance to do anything I wanted to do. Let's talk about why that is. Right. And there's often a reason for that. Yes. Yes. Um, Another story I want to talk about. Um, You went to a conference and found out that the CEO of Taco Bell was there. And so you went over to the card table and you switched name tags so that you could be seated at his table. Yeah. I love that story. It's a great story. Again, I think that took a lot of courage and a lot of chutzpah. But what happened was I had made the decision after 18 years in marketing. I loved my career. I love what I was doing. But I really wanted at that point, and and I had mentioned to you early on that I, I really did by the time I graduated from college, know that I wanted to run something. And in those days, I did not believe, nor nor do I to a certain degree still to this day, that somebody with a marketing background would be would be somebody that they would want to be the CEO. So I knew I had to have PL experience, right? And real PL experience where I was accountable 
for a large P&L. And so the only way, given that I had spent my 18 years in marketing in the restaurant business, I thought, okay, I have to go into operations. So I went to my existing company and said, put me in coach. I'll go anywhere. I'll move anywhere. I'll run any of the divisions. And he said, no, you just make way too much money for me being the marketing head. And I'm like, no, 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 you, you don't understand. I'm willing to go anywhere, do anything, but I got to get into operations. And he said, absolutely not. So I had read in our, back then, the, the Nation's Restaurant News, which is still a major publication in the restaurant business. I had read an article that said Taco Bell was starting a new program called the Advanced Management Recruit, the AMR program, where they would find people from different industries and bring them in and teach them operations and then set them free. And I thought, my gosh, that's made in heaven. So I went and talked to the executive recruiter and she said, you know, they're just not interested. You've got a marketing background and they just don't think of marketing people as being able to be an ops. And I said, well, that's the most ridiculous thing I ever heard of. (laughs) Fast forward. This is a true story. It couldn't have been not even a month later. There was a big awards assembly. I even remember where we were. It was in Chicago, Illinois, connected to the show, the National Restaurant uh, Association show, which happens every year. And it was somehow connected to that. And we were all accepting awards for our just our fabulous advertising. And of course, that's what I did for a living. So I was accepting the um, award on behalf of um, of the company that I was working for. I was accepting on their behalf this fabulous advertising award. And literally, we're at cocktails. It's like a it's like a, a little cocktail hour. And someone says, oh, my gosh, John Martin's here. He's going to accept the award on behalf of Taco Bell. I've never met John Martin. And I'm, you know, my, my like antenna went, need it? <laughs> well, I'm going to meet John Martin. So I literally said to the woman, so where is the dinner? And she said, oh, it's in that other room. So when no one was looking, I quietly just backed up, <laughs> literally backed up to the door, ran in, went looking for where my name badge was and switch with the person sitting next to John Martin. Oh my gosh. I love that. Sat down, And of course, John and I had a fabulous conversation. And um, a week later I was called by the executive recruiter. And he said, funniest thing, they're kind of interested in you somehow. Did you meet John Martin? I said, well, as a matter of fact, I did. <laughs> I can't tell you how, but <laughs> the rest is they say uh, is history. Uh, God rest his soul. He, he passed away a little while ago, but he and I had what was always uh, a fabulous relationship, and he taught me an awful lot. Um, I don't even know if I ever told John that story, but clearly it it worked in my benefit. I think what you know, it's you're extremely personable and and confident in your ability. I think to interact and engage with people. If you don't have that, you know, um, perhaps you don't take those types of. I wouldn't even say that was a risk. You just probably thought, yeah, I can do that. I can go sit there and introduce myself. Well, I must have told that story a couple of times because I have literally had people email me saying, Julia, just want you to know, I switched name tags. It worked in my face. Oh, there you go. You taught. Um, Listen, we have to go into our first break. And when we come back, I want to talk about the company, um, Alorex and what was the catalyst? You know, what a a different... uh, field completely from from the restaurant business. Stay with us as we go into our first break and you'll hear from um, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, beautiful promo, um, and also Visit Philly. We'll be right back. 
people are super nice and well, it's like very walkable. I already have like 15,000 steps today. I think the Schuylkill is pretty nice. Like obviously the Greenhouse Park yeah. is really nice. Philly has some of the best food ever. Definitely Badia. How could you not? I went to a lot of recently. Fantastic. Philadelphia has always been a great scene for food. We've always had great Italian food. There's great Mexican food. If you go to West Philly, there's a ton of like Indian and Ethiopian. There's all kinds. Just skate around Philly, just cruising, listening to music come across a mural, it's just amazing. They're big, colorful, I love it. We chose Philly because it's one of our team buildings and go check out the art. I think one of the coolest parts of Philly is the murals and the street art. And I don't think it's something you should necessarily like go out and look for, but something that you should find on your own. You're getting on the damn train, Everybody's got their jersey on on Sundays and whatnot. Like, I love it. The Phillies were in the World Series. The soccer team was in their championship. And the Eagles, you know what I'm saying, could have won a Super Bowl. So if New York and Philly were at a party, New York would be the one that would need to be the center of tension. And they're going to make sure that everybody's taking shots with them. Philly's going to go with it, and they're going to have a great time, and they're going to be like the hype man, but they're actually going to last a little bit longer because they're going to go like harder, nitty-grittier. We are CHOP, and we can't wait to show you around. We are the nation's first children's hospital. Now, a care network with more than 50 locations that continues to expand. Three state-of-the-art research buildings with 1.5 million square feet of space. We have grown from 12 beds 165 years ago to nearly 600 beds and one of the best children's hospitals in the world. We have a level one trauma center 11 floors of patient units, more than 20 operating rooms, first-of-its-kind delivery unit for babies with birth defects, a separate cardiac operative and catheterization suite, and places to learn, like our internationally recognized simulation center. We have trained generations of leaders in the field of pediatrics. We are world leaders in medicine, surgery, and science one of the top recipients in NIH funding for pediatric research. In this building, pioneers in CAR-T therapy, mitochondrial disease, brain tumors, hyperinsulinism, and other rare diseases. Here, groundbreaking work in fetal surgery, genetics and genomics, and neurology. In our newest building, leaders in social determinants of health, clinical informatics and epidemiology, autism, trauma, and injury prevention. Our patients come from every state and 115 countries.
Meeting these challenges requires the best and the brightest. We are passionate about pediatrics. We are motivated to make a difference in the world and in our community. We are a team. We are CHOP. Welcome back to the show. I'm joined this week by Julia Stewart, and Julia is the founder and CEO of Alorex, which is a brand new wellness company. I'm very excited to hear more about it. My first obvious question is, what was the catalyst for deciding to start a brand new company in a very different field? That's a great question. So I probably, when I left after, gosh, almost 20 years as uh, uh, chair and CEO of, of Dine, which first was IHOP, then the addition of Applebee's, and then became Dine. Um, I spent maybe a year doing a little of everything, traveling, um, spending time with my kids. My daughter was just thinking about going into college, so it was perfect timing. And then I also um, didn't didn't plan to <clears throat> talk about something that wasn't planned for, but a couple of people called and said, would you do some consulting, which actually was wonderful because I found out I'm really good at it. It comes <clears throat> incredibly easy for me and I don't like it. So it was great. Oh, you don't like it. <laughs> no, but how would you know if you didn't try? It's just, it's not rewarding to me. I, I've got to do it. I've got to be there. So anyway. You've got to be creating. Yes. <clears throat> and I would, I always used to say to people, why would you pay me to tell you exactly what you need to do? And then you don't do it. I don't get that part. So anyway. <laughs> last log. But um, what happened was I began, um, as I had coached for so many years, doing inter informational interviews, trying to learn a little bit about what's out there and the trends. It was actually very rewarding for me to just go out and talk to people. Hmm. And I started gravitating towards health and wellness. And I realized I had a bit of an epiphany. I realized here I'd spent my whole life in what in the restaurant business, you call everyday indulgent brands. And I had spent my whole career in everyday indulgence, which is really often a nice way of saying too much sugar, too much salt, um, too much portion size, too much fat. So it was sort of this epiphany that I had about, you know what? I spent all those years in the restaurant business. I have a unique perspective and an opportunity to really guide and help people with their wellness. And then I just literally began to read everything I could get my hands on, interviewed a ton of people and formulated Allurix, which really started out with products, but I became acutely aware very early on that people were taking the product thinking that somehow that would be Nirvana and change everything. When the truth of the matter is you have to change habits. Yes, it's really a lifestyle change. So I began working on the Allurix app and I began interviewing doctors and experts and specialists. Again, a ton of reading and learning and guidance from people who who could really help and and spending time with everything with from the Longevity Institute in Stanford and really be, becoming somewhat of an expert 
and recognizing there was absolutely a pattern, which is if you want to change behavior, and I, I talked to many behavioral psychologists who said, look, Julia, it doesn't happen in a week. You know, it probably takes a, probably a month or two at, at, at least, and you have to be very consistent about it. However, once you start working on these changes, you start feeling better about yourself, even if you haven't made any progress. The notion that you are making this mm. effort, you feel better. Well, that resonated with me, the likes of which I can't believe. And we began working on this, this notion of an app, which should be out in a couple of weeks called the Allurix Wellness app and okay. will be available on the Apple store. And we'll obviously be doing some, some marketing about it. And it will start with the ability to improve either your sleep, your nutrition, or your stress management. The three most commonly searched Google items in wellness and this notion of beginning a journey that's personalized for you. So it starts with a, a short assessment where you answer some questions, you click to where you want to go to. Let's just make it up and say you really want to work on stress management. Although, Sue, you do not strike me as somebody who who uh, suffers uh, stress management hardly at all. But let's say- Well, I've come a long way. <laughs> but let's say you wanted to work on your stress management. It would then take you to a personalized guide, depending how you answer the questions into activities just for you every day. And then once you did that activity and you click that you've completed it, no sense lying. You might as well tell the truth. It's only helping you. It literally will guide you through that journey, give you an assessment once a week, a score of how you're doing, offer if you need a product or a service, the doctor will make that recommendation. If it's just continue on the activities or engage, there are videos to watch. It's all about the particular item you chose. And obviously over time, it just keeps going and going and going. It never ends and you get realigned and or you can change and eventually we'll add more than just the three, the stress management, nutrition and sleep. We'll add several more. Um, it's been quite the journey to build it from scratch. By the um, way, it's not just for women. Is that right? No, it's, not at all. It's it, for men and women. We found, we did a fair amount of research and we, um, interestingly enough, with someone I met at Taco Bell, who's now on her own and has her own research company, talk about a small world, um, as you and I were speaking earlier. But at any rate, she did a, a fair amount of research across the, the country, talking to a wide variety of people who didn't get paid, but who thought it was interesting that they were going to answer questions about a, a, a wellness app. So we asked them several questions. We found in general, people in their teens and early 20s self-select out because they think they're going to live forever and they don't need any help. So that group wasn't really interested in a Lurix wellness app. Once you get to your late 20s, early 30s, you are very interested. And that went all the way to 65 plus. So, right. and about 65% of the people that responded were women. The rest were men. Very interested in this notion of lifestyle changes, absolutely making it. But you had to have an interest. If you had no interest, then an app doesn't interest you. You would be amazed at the number, well, maybe you wouldn't, the number of people who thought this was wonderful. And we're unique in that we do multiple need states. So it's not just one thing, it's multiple things. It's personalized to you and it's at your own pace. And it's a subscription, obviously. And we have a few products that we would recommend that are ours, but the large majority of the products are someone else's. We That's not what we're about. We're about finding the best product or service or video that helps you. And that's what the doctors 
are actually uploading into the app for us. So it's been wonderful. It's been a wonderful journey. And we are, like I said- And not that long, right? When did you- I started in 2020, right before the pandemic, about a month before the pandemic. And then we all went to our various homes to continue the work. And as I said, we, we, we learned so much over the last couple of years about consumers talking to us. So we took that Alurix email list that we have and we began to expand it into the, um, into the app. And then a lot of those folks um, were so excited about the products you know, that they said, you know, love anything else you can add to that. So when we first introduced this notion of an app, they said, oh my gosh, even more. Yeah. People are looking for personalized, very much looking for personalization, you know, throughout. Tell me what, what piqued your interest though? What, what were you, tell me about your own wellness and well-being, And is it something that you've paid attention to and done for yourself? I've always been interested in, and I was, you know, raised by, as you know, teachers, one, one who was a physical education teacher who talked to me, agnosium, about the fact that one had to exercise. It wasn't so much the exercise as find something that you enjoy doing and make certain you're doing it all the time. And I think that just carried over into nutrition. Um, I was raised that you, you know, you had to take care of your body and your mind and your soul. And so that's kind of, it just lived on. And both my parents were, I wouldn't say they were, um, they were healthy, focused individuals who really believed in taking care of themselves. And it just carried over, right? I mean, that okay. it, yes. just, it carried over into the way I eat, the way I cook early on. That was just, that was what we did. But exercise was an important aspect that we we would talk about right now. And and by the way, everyone had something different. You know, my mother was really into golf and swimming and bicycling. My dad was really into, believe it or not, weights lifting and boxing. You know, that was wow that he and they were both good at it. But you know, it doesn't take very long. Even when you're a child, you, you watch people doing it every day. So, oh, sure. That it, right. So that was a part of your upbringing, you know. So when I was doing it every day, you know, I just it it became natural for me. And then obviously my kids saw it, and now to this day, you know, it's the same thing. What was interesting, though, is I think because I spent all those years, a lot of years, over forty, in the restaurant business, both <clears throat> with people I worked with, and then obviously, you know, talking to customers every day, being in restaurants every day. You saw people either overeat, overindulge, or eat the wrong things, or not really understanding how to how to manage that, how to work within that. And I think I saw really a lot of inability to manage stress. And I cannot tell you how many times I would come in in the morning for a meeting, obviously all those years in the, in the business, either into a restaurant or into the corporate headquarters. And people would be, you know, miserable. What's wrong? I had a horrible night's sleep. So I began, you know, that that resonated with me as I began to think about the change. And then I went out and did the research and found out sleep is a huge issue in America. And by the way, for every 100 people who get into the app, we know that about 10% need to have a sleep study done. That's how bad the sleep problem is. So we know sleep is an issue. We know stress is very much an issue, probably more today than ever before. And then we also know this ability to 
you know, the, 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 the pyramid we learned in, in elementary school about nutrition has morphed and it's mm-hmm. become, how do we get enough of things and how do we create that diet? And so fortunately for me, I was able to find, in my humble opinion, the best nutritionist, you know, the best psychologist, the best everyone. And of course, the way I explained it is, you know, you have patients you see every week, but here you could help thousands of people a day with the app. Yeah. And that became a little bit of the legacy and the notion of how to give them a plan, how to give them courage, but also how to give them excitement about being able to impact and influence so many more people. How hard, Julia, was it for you to find the right team? Because it seems to have happened pretty quickly, right? And you have to find all these people and you do. I think for me, I think the, the biggest thing is when I started fundraising is that, you know, I would get people that would say to me, well, why would anybody who's been so successful as CEO want to start from ground zero and do it all by yourself with a little teeny team? That just doesn't seem logical to me. Like people really thought that just didn't seem logical. I'm like, it's the most logical thing in the world to me that I spent my entire career helping franchisees grow their businesses why wouldn't I do that for myself? I see to me, it just seemed very logical, but um, I get well, it's a competitive space, right? Health and wellness. My goodness, that that's what I want to talk to you about. Um, there are just so many wellness companies and, and how do you differentiate yourself from all of those, particularly, you know, providing supplements? So for me, it was trying to find what is uniquely different. And so it was find the best product, find the best app developer, find the best doctors and be able to distinguish yourself that there isn't anybody else doing it or anybody else that has that or has those ingredients. So everything that we did or found was unique, like you can't find it. Or if you can, it doesn't have the same ingredients. So you you might have to pay a little bit more with some of the products we were originally selling. And now obviously, as we get into the app, you may pay slightly more, but you can't find it anywhere. And so that's really made, I think, the uniqueness that we're here to genuinely help you at whatever pace that is. And then the reassuredness as people would get into it and see what we're doing and say, let me get this right. You've been selling products for a couple of years and you've never had a return, never had a return. Oh, that's a good That's a good sign. Just that what we do is so unique. And now as we morph more into the app side, which is the natural, um, because I think there's so much, it's, you can help so many more people with the app and really change the behavior set. And certainly there will be some products that, that will be unique, but I think I'm more interested in making helping people make the change in their lifestyle, which I had no idea until I started really getting into this and we started doing the research. People are trying to find that and can't find it anywhere. And they distrust pretty much everything out there. So if you can create a a relationship with them, well, that's how it starts. And then it's on a a life of its own. So I've probably um, been the most excited about this it's just been a whirlwind of of learning and educating uh, and challenging myself to something very different than what I did. Yes. But there There is something to be said for whether you're trying to get people to come to your restaurant or you're trying to get people onto your app. There is some similarities as well. 
Yeah. So you right now, there's obviously a website where people can go to buy the products. The app is now an extension to to benefit, you know, um, yes, the customers, clients to, you know, the behavioral part, as you said, is such, it is really the piece. Oh, right. If you've been, yeah, you know, you can take a a vitamin supplement every day, but if your diet doesn't change or you're not extra, I mean, yeah, you don't take that, take the supplement with a cheeseburger. (laughs) I think that was a little, as I said, my epiphany was partly what I had been doing for so long. And partly it was the realization that people wanted to take the the supplement every day and feel better. And that's just a little teeny yeah. piece of yeah. the bigger piece. And I'm, like I said, I, I've, I, it's like giving birth. It's very exciting. So it's here. never too late, right? Julia, yeah. it is never too late to start a company. No, um, it's, but it is, as you, as you know, it's very interesting in um, the naysayers. And I just, you know, I, I guess I've seen them my whole life. And, and I just find it kind of interesting that people would say, why wouldn't you just go into the, a beach somewhere? Because that's not who I am. Right. I, I want to help. I want to make a difference. Yes. Not only that, the most successful don't follow the path that everyone is going down. They go a different way. That's right. Yeah. Um, I just was curious how you, Fortune Magazine named you to the top 50 most powerful women in the U.S. How did that make you feel? Um, I think it was really, um, for me, it was amazing. It was like, how is this possible? And then they they put together what you and I would know, like a little conference for us so we could meet each other. And um, that was the highlight, right? I mean, it was wonderful to be named and, you know, it's a big deal. Although, as my son said, really, you were 46th. You couldn't have been closer to the front. You had to be in the back. I'm like, thanks. Typical son. Yeah. But it was, it was funny because... The best part of that was starting relationships and getting to meet people from all walks of life who, you know, back then it was more corporate America. Now they have a whole thing Forbes does for up and comers and people who've started new businesses. But back then it was really corporations or people who'd been very successful in their their own right. But I met some amazing, amazing women um, that that stayed friends with. Um, oh, I bet. Yeah. But but the best part is from all walks of life. Yes. Doing a variety of different things. You know, the CEO of General Motors. The, and and again, what was interesting is meeting these women and and the graciousness. Um, you know, they're it's just different when you meet them, and there's no um, there's no club right? Yeah. There's no club. It's just, it's a pleasure to meet you. Yeah. By the way, Mary Barra, is that who you're referencing? Yeah. What a job she's been in and there for so long. She's on my bucket list. She is an amazing, amazing. And you know what we spent part of our time just talking about is, uh, is our kids. Yeah. Well, that's the last thing I want to talk to you about. My guests always light up when they talk about their kids and you're a mom and you have a a son and a daughter. Um, And 
I, I'd love to know how you talk to them about encouraging them to go out and, and really try to fulfill their own dreams. What kind of advice have you given them over the years? You know, it's funny. So I actually have three. I have a stepdaughter. My oldest. Yes, I, for, yes, I forgot. that My stepdaughter, because she came first, because she's the oldest, she would say, you know, I just can't st- stand up and talk in front of people like you can. Or, and we, I started talking to her about the things that she was good at. And so it's a little bit of, let's really take advantage. And I, I don't think I've ever met anyone who is as good as Alexa at transferring skill set and knowledge. It's just her skill. It's unbelievable, the talent. And so she's gone on to a career doing just that. Wow. And so it's interesting and, um, you know, that she she found what she's good at and now is, is just blossoming. And it's just, it's awesome to see, works for a great company, great future, and but inherently had some incredible capability. It just needed to find the right place to come out. I, I'm a big believer in that, right? Um, find the right path, right? Because oftentimes people end up thinking they fail because they either got fired or they had to quit. It's just not the right fit. You have to but, find that right fit. Yeah. And not only that, I think often people outside see things about us we don't see. And she right? was so incredibly uh, talented. And then with my son, he had some natural affinity. Certain things came easy to him. And I'm like, okay, so the financial end of things comes easy to you. What would you do with that? Well, I'd like to find a college where I could really excel at that. Great. Let's find a college where you can excel at that. Once he got that first job, he was, um, you know, he was a single contributor in the beginning, just like most of us started out. And he's like, well, I feel like I've done everything I can do. Now what? I said, you're going to raise your hand and you're going to ask to manage people. And he said, well, I've never managed anybody in my life. What are you, nuts? <laughs> and I said, no, quite the contrary. The whole idea, Alec, is you want to broaden and expand. He's like, well, I, I, I'm not you. I can't do And I said, well, let's start small. Let's start with one employee and let's work together on what that. And so it came easy for him. And he found out he was really good at it. And one day, and I, I made him write a thank you card. One day, a guy said to him, hey, Alec, have you ever been a, to a client meeting? He said, I, no, what, what do you do? And he said, you don't need to do anything. You just sit and listen and watch. So when they were leaving, he turned to Alec and he said, did you enjoy that? And he said, that was really cool. And he said, Alec, I think you belong in client services. And one thing led to another. Yeah, but it that's was how it happens. It's all that open-mindedness. And then he began to work the plan very early on about what matters to him. Uh, and he works for a great company as well. My youngest, the artist, that's a different path. And I had to learn too, because I have been so focused in the business world. Although I have a creative bent to me, I always have, obviously all those years in marketing and advertising, but you really have to listen and learn about someone who's an artist and wants to be an artist, how they think differently and how they see the world differently. And they actually, for the most part, think differently. Yeah. So was- I always, yeah, my daughter's a creative and I, you know, when she used to kind of hesitate about all her friends going into business and science and everything, I said, Sarah, the world would be nothing without the creative people. No. We wouldn't have anything no. that you see and use. And she's incredibly talented. And I think the best thing in the world was getting her into a college. 
I'm proud to say she ended up at the number one art school in America, uh, Rhode Island School of Design. But when she went there, it was interesting. So she was surrounded with people like her and she began to excel. And so her natural presence and her <clears throat> confidence began to flourish. Yeah. And then when she would hear professors or they would do, they do a lot of what you and I would call critiquing. Mm -hmm. And so they would bring in artists, especially from New York and, and Boston and the area, because it's so close, who would critique her work and say, you know, this is amazing. And I want you to keep doing it. Keep pushing yourself in this. Field. And she would say to me, so I just got critiqued by a major artist and was told I have a future. And it, it, it sort of begets that that notion of of confidence. And then it just it took yeah. off. It took off from there. But it is interesting because all three of them had talent, tons of talent. It's just finding the right resource to bring that out. Now, you know, my youngest may never speak in front of 4,000 people. Who knows? I kind of like that. It's not her thing. But I could no more take a piece of clay and Correct. turn it into a work of art than. So it's, it's, it, but I, I do tell you, and I, I coach this all the time find that thing that you are good at. And then, as a parent or a coach or a mentor or a boss or a supervisor, you know, begin to make sure that is exposed and that it is gratified and that there is projects that give you an opportunity to showcase that. And that is so what happened with all three of the kids. And in particular, you know, my, my oldest, my stepdaughter, where she just literally raised her hand one day and said, I, I don't want to be in sales. I want to be over there. And that's yeah. how it began. But again, that's, it is working a plan. Maybe they don't articulate it quite in the same way that I do, but it is, it's working your plan. Yeah, but pointing it out, pointing out to others, young people, what, what you recognize to be a gift gives them the belief in themselves. It has to start Absolutely. with the belief. I was coaching. I had given a speech at USC and I, a, a guy called me and said, would you be a mentor for a while? And so I started just by listening and I said, you know, tell me about you and what do you do? And he was in the MBA program. That it, so you, you do that nights and weekends. It's not a full-time thing. But the EMBA, I think they call it the EMBA. It's the Executive Management Business you know, Program. And so he was telling me he was in real estate. I said, oh, real estate. So talk to me about it. And he said, well, I hate it. But I make so much money. I, you know, I, I just, I can't get out of it. So by the end of the first coaching session, we found out what he really liked to do, which had nothing to do with real estate. What was it? He had a natural desire to work with his hands. He loved anything to do with horticulture. And he had in high school worked as a landscaper, but his dad and his mom had said, well, you won't make enough money doing that. So you need to go get into real estate like we're in and that's what you need to do. And so um, I hope he's listening because he ended up starting his own business and today is very successful. There you go. But yeah. again, it was taking the leap. And apparently at some point he went and told his folks and his folks were like, you mean you don't like real estate? He said, I never <laughs> loved real estate. I hate that business. 
And his dad is like, so you could fix our backyard? You would do it, you know. <laughs> and so one thing led to another, and that's the business that he's now in. But it's not it's not backyard eats, is it? No, no. Okay. <laughs> it's a big, big, wonderful new company no, that um but again he said, Well, I you know, I I you know, what kind of what kind of a mentor are you telling me to quit? I said, Well, let's let's take this. Don't quit yet. First you have to have your plan. Right. Let's work, <laughs> let's let's put your plan together and then let's talk about what that looks like. Right. Right. And then let's think so it, that that process took a couple of years. That was not an overnight coaching. But, right. But in the end, what really came out is he never liked it. He yeah. never liked it. He didn't enjoy oh, it. That's so often the case. It just breaks my heart where people stick with something that's bringing them no joy or, you know, satisfaction. And um, it just, I think society places expectations, rules, the manual for what you're supposed to do. And then, um, but I think we're getting better yeah. at understanding that success comes when you, you do what it is that you, you hey. know, are, are gifted in. Listen, I started college. I was going to teach the world to speak. I was a pathology audiology major. And as a, and you're pre-med, right? And I'm in a class and, and some professor says, no, 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 you're doing it all wrong. There's only one way to teach somebody with a front lateral lisp. And I'm like, no, I have, I have several ideas. And he's like, well, no, that, that's not how it works here. You only do it one way. Uh, so I went to the counselor and said, I don't think I'm going to make it. And he said, well, you're getting good grades. I'm like, I don't enjoy this one way to teach somebody something. That's the most ridiculous thing I ever heard of. <laughs> and it, most of what, as a freshman and a sophomore, most of what you work with is stroke victims. They don't even have okay. you working, so you work with stroke victims. And I'm like, I have all kinds of ideas. And he was so funny. He said, I'm going to take you to the communications and marketing department. <laughs> you have too many ideas, too many things to say. Yeah. So <laughs> it's not going to work so well. Right. So yeah. He, he marched me into uh, Dr. Havistro, still remember him, Dr. Havistro's office and said, Dr. Havistro, I have a new member of your of your of your uh, organization for you. Her name is Julia. You're going to love her. You're just going <laughs> to love her. <laughs> That's so incredible. I, you know, Julia, we're, we're at the end. I wish I, you know, we could go on. I do have more questions. We'll have to bring you back because I really enjoyed I talking that. to you. You're I a great storyteller. Thank you. Um, and I wish you much continued success with the Lorex and I'll be following and um, checking everything out and sharing, et cetera. Thank you so much for taking some time. Thank you. I, I'm very grateful for the time. Thank you. Um, stay with us as we go into our last break. You'll hear from Penn Community Bank and Children's Hospital of Philadelphia again. And then I'll be back to close out the show. Take care, Julia. Thank you. From Philadelphia to the Lehigh Valley and everywhere in between. For 150 years, Penn Community Bank has been a part of your neighborhood. Helping businesses start, supporting families as they grow, and staying connected to the people and places that make this region special. It's who we are and where we're from. Penn Community Bank, here we are and here we grow. We are CHOP, and we can't wait to show you around. We're the nation's first children's hospital. Now, 
a care network with more than 50 locations that continues to expand. Three state-of-the-art research buildings with 1.5 million square feet of space. We have grown from 12 beds 165 years ago to nearly 600 beds and one of the best children's hospitals in the world. We have a level one trauma center, 11 floors of patient units, more than 20 operating rooms, first of its kind delivery unit for babies with birth defects, a separate cardiac operative and catheterization suite, and places to learn, like our internationally recognized simulation center. We have trained generations of leaders in the field of pediatrics. We are world leaders in medicine, surgery, and science. One of the top recipients in NIH funding for pediatric research. In this building, pioneers in CAR-T therapy, mitochondrial disease, brain tumors, hyperinsulinism, and other rare diseases. Here, groundbreaking work in fetal surgery, genetics and genomics, and neurology. In our newest building, leaders in social determinants of health, clinical informatics and epidemiology, autism, trauma and injury prevention. Our patients come from every state and 115 countries. These challenges requires the best and the brightest. We are passionate about pediatrics. We are motivated to make a difference in the world and in our community. We are a team. We are CHOP. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Thanks so much for being with me. Um, stay tuned for my conversation next week with Joy Fan. Joy is the founder and CEO of Retail, which is a company um, trying to bring back the brick-and-mortar storefronts. Thank you, as always, to our corporate partners, Comcast, NBC Universal, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, Penn Community Bank, and Visit Philly. And have a great week, everyone.